0: Everybody and welcome to episode 23 of the Shine Sparkers podcast and welcome Roy and Darren we're so happy to have you back on the show Metroid Dread recently won best action adventure game from Famitsu and then it got nominated for a BAFTA so big congratulations yeah. to Mercury Steam Well done team.
1: well done that's fantastic Yay. to hear
0: All right, so for this episode, we will be digging into two very important topics, the first being video game preservation and how Nintendo's recent announcement on the closure of the Wii U and 3DS eShop will impact a significant number of Metroid titles, limiting ways fans can legally obtain them.
1: It's true. Um, it's a poor move, but it's nothing new uh, Nintendo have always done this with their online shops uh, from the from the Wii era, um, which they actually closed a few years ago fully uh, to the point where you cannot even re-download the games that you bought. So at the minute, you will still be able to re-download things if you own them. But if you're thinking long-term in the future, ten years from now, twenty years from now, that you know your games aren't always going to be there. So if you lose them, you've lost them, um, which I, I don't think is very good. So yeah, there's there's some problems that I have there, and I know a lot of people online were quite vocal about that. Um, I do feel that there should be an alternative to preserving those games. Like I really feel that the virtual console should exist on the Switch uh, so that you can obtain those games. In an ideal world, they're tied to your account, right? You should be able to re-download them for free on the Switch. I I don't understand why in a a modern era we can't do that, Uh, but it's all about cost.
0: Especially since we can do that on the PS5.
1: Yeah. When the eShop closes, the only way of obtaining any kind of classic content is through a service which Nintendo can just close at any point. You will no longer own a game uh, from that era because all the digital games that you owned, you can't purchase them any, anymore. And in terms of Metroid, all the games except for the original Metroid and Super Metroid and Metroid Dread, they're the only ones that are gonna be available. Every other game is currently either physical copies or, or digital copies on those eShops. Once they're gone, that is it it's kind of concerning especially when we've had metroid dread and it's encouraged fans to go back and play other games from the series you know the eShop on the wii u uh the top two games was fusion and zero mission i know that hunters was in there and the trilogy and it's just sad that those games are not going to be accessible for people to download so unless you've already downloaded them that's it
2: it makes no sense to me so they put out dread And then they don't have Fusion available on the Switch for people to play who are new to the series. And a few months after Dread comes out, uh, they're now pulling the Wii U eShop, which is the only place now where you can buy Fusion. Because if you weren't fortunate enough to get the Ambassador program on 3DS uh, and get Fusion that way, then you're stuck. You either have to shill out for a it's got to be like $300 now, a uh, GBA cartridge.
1: And the GBA itself, if you don't have a GBA or you don't have any of the other hardware, you have to buy that hardware as well.
2: True. And that gets even more expensive.
1: And uh, I know you personally, Roy, as well, you've uh, actually gone back and, and purchased a lot of content from those eShops before it closes.
2: Yes, I recently uh, spent far, 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 far too much money buying a lot of uh, 3DS and Wii U games that will no longer be available once the shops close. All the Metroid games, uh, the Phoenix Wright games, Pushmo, tons of others.
1: A lot of those smaller titles as well that were only ever released on those platforms, they're gone forever. Um, And it was the the case with WiiWare and uh, DSiWare when those closed as well, Um, gone. You know just all that content is is not accessible anymore and it's just really sad so i hope that something happens between then and now where they'll say oh yeah we'll put the virtual console on the switch but it's not going to happen it's not going to happen unfortunately and nintendo only drip feed content to their fans um you know i'm pretty sure That there'll be new hardware after the switch and super mario brothers will be that one game that you'll get on day one and then you might get the legend of zelda a month later and then you might get i don't know mario brothers 2 a month after that and it will be drip fed to you again and they will continue to do this and it's such a backwards anti-consumer thing disagree with nintendo's decision on this as 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 highly as possible all of your legal means of owning a game is either going to be inaccessible or very, very expensive. And it doesn't leave you with many other options.
0: So video game preservation is just super important to me because video games are an art form, no different than literature, no different than film, music. It is a storytelling medium. And To not have access to those classic games means that people that are just now getting into gaming, kids now, that are playing, like, Metroid or Pokemon for the first time in its, like, current generation of it, won't have access to see how it came to be. They won't have access to see its origin. We won't, you know, without access to Mother, which is... Basically, the reason why we have Pokemon, you know, you, w- you wouldn't know where it came from. And to me, limiting the ability to play classic games would be like saying that you can't read this classic literature anymore because, you know, it's out of print. Um Something ne- There needs to be some form of whether it's online capabilities that are legal or, you know, some kind of like a library system. Because, I mean, if movies can be at the library, then I feel like video games should be as well. The problem would be stealing them because of how much people can get for a video game so like some form of like I don't know temporary download or something if you want to like check it out from an online library or something like that or have like an online library card that would allow you to play them Um, even just like to play it for a few days and just so you can kind of get a feel for it because it's also important for people learning wanting to go into a video game field like wanting to develop games they need to see Where it started and get ideas from that and understand where, you know, where a Metroidvania game pulls from. If a person's never played Metroid or Super Metroid or Castlevania, and then they play, you know, Hollow Knight or Ori, and then they didn't realize, you know, oh, this style of game has been around for a long time. What makes it work? What's the origin of this game? So that's why to me it's so important to just preserve video games. And, you know, I think it's the digital way of doing it is the most efficient way of doing it because that's, you know, how people can hold on to music for so long. Um, and I, of course, love having the physical copies and there needs to be a a legal way of doing so. And to take that away is just it's like taking someone's favorite book or movie away, really. Um, and it's it's just when I, I don't like take the idea of just taking art away from somebody, and that's that's what a video game is. It's art. It's a, a merging of like several different art forms, and. It, it, it's one of those things that like, when I find out it's no longer available, like it it just bothers me so much because like my favorite games are from the NES era. and like my absolute favorite game ever is Super Mario Brothers 3. And you know that's one that I would want everybody to be able to play at some point in their life just because it's so much fun. And then, you know it's early days of platformers and then you play a platformer now to see how far it's come to see like that game's influence on on future titles is so important. and, that's my thoughts on it. <laughs> it It's a lot more needs to be done. There needs to be more, you know, video games have been around for a long time. It's not something that was just a fad. It's, you know, been around what, 70s, 80s or when they first really started becoming available.
1: Probably even earlier than that. Yeah. The Pong, for example.
0: Exactly. So, you know, if there's classic movies that are, if movies from that era are considered classics, then there are video games from that era that are considered classics. Those should be more accessible to people. And it's a way people can experience storytelling. It's a way people can experience, you know, others' incredibly hard work. And, just, and then just to spend time with family playing, you know, those classic games is a lot of fun. And it's a really good bonding experience for people.
1: Yeah, like parents with their children like oh this is what i played growing up you know this is what i want you to check out i used to play this and then oh no your game's not there anymore is really mm-hmm. sad and you did mention mother recently and i'm really pleased that that has recently come to the nintendo online but and i've played both of them and they're great games uh, but eventually that service is going to end, Nintendo will end that service. You didn't ever buy those games, you only paid for a subscription to access that library. So you don't actually buy a game anymore, you're buying a service. Um, and that's that's kind of concerning. I always see people comment saying, oh yeah, you're getting this game for free, you're, you, you can get this extra thing for free. It's not. You're paying for the service and they're giving you these things. But they're also going to take them away from you as soon as they decide that that service is no longer profitable. And, you know, that service can also raise in price as well. If you want continued access to that, they might bump it up in price. It's not just Nintendo, but it feels like Nintendo doesn't really care too much about that at the moment and we you know time will will judge whether this is uh, still the case but it seems like xbox is doing a really good job at trying to preserve their games they're making all the old games accessible on newer hardware and backwards compatibility and i think that's really really mm-hmm. good i just hope well, it continues
2: they stopped that they did add one final batch of games but they've said that that's it right
1: okay the point that I'm making, Roy, is that a good 80% of Metroid games are not going to be accessible for people after they've just launched a Metroid title, and, and a really big upcoming Metroid title as well, where people are going to want to maybe play the original trilogy. and right, they're going to be
0: missing part of the story without having access to those games. <laughs> yeah,
1: let's presume that uh, Metroid Prime 4 is going to be released in 2023. It's likely it's going to be after the eShop has closed. So where are you going to get your trilogy from? I mean, Nintendo release Metroid Prime games now, by all means, you know, release the first three again. A lot of Metroid fans that started with Dread are not going to be able to try out the other games. There should be a a library that continues to grow and moves with new hardware.
2: Another point I'd like to uh, raise is that in some cases there were difficult working conditions on some games. So, for those games where there was uh, Crunch, for instance, and the game turned out to be, you know, a masterpiece, if it's not available anymore, what did they put all their blood, sweat, and tears in for? And then, poof, it's gone.
0: Right, well, next up for discussion is accessibility in Metroid games., um, So there are de- have definitely been a lot said about the accessibility on Metroid, how Nintendo handles accessibility versus other platforms like PlayStation and Xbox, um, and just different ways that, more people can play it, because what is it that they say it at xbox when every but when everyone plays, we all win something like that. Mm. I'm botching that quote. <laughs> I can't remember the quote, but it's important to be able to have as many people we could be able to play it as possible because i mean it's it's fun it's a game, and it, hey, and you know, I hate for somebody to not be able to play a game just because like they can't see these two colors well.
2: we were uh talking about that in the last episode with Kainen um. And someone responded to it on Twitter. They said that uh, they played with uh, their dad, who I think, Darren, you might remember this better. They said that their dad was colorblind or something. And when they were fighting Metroid Prime, for instance, um, and Metroid Prime changes color. So he would call out uh, which beam to switch to. So it was like he was helping him in that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's cute, but it wasn't, is it obvious looking at the screen what those are? Cause normally it's not just colors, is it? There's like shapes or some other, um, prompt.
2: Well, there's for prime, there's like, uh, symbols with, uh, hand icons, but in the case of like knowing which color beam you have to use to shoot, uh, then I guess he wouldn't know.
1: It's a nice, it's a nice thing to do, you know, bring to see people closer together through video games, which is positive. But it's on a topic that is uh, that is a little bit sad. The fact that someone who's colorblind doesn't have the same opportunities as someone that can see every color. It's a little bit disappointing. Games should keep that in mind. I've played, I think, Mario Party recently. I think some of the older Mario Party games didn't really take colorblindness into consideration. Whereas on the Switch, uh, I know that there's like patterns. I can't remember the mini game. it's that one where you stand on platforms and they're different colors, and each of those have like a different pattern to them, so it's like stripes or circles or something like that. So you would know which one to jump on. Uh, I think that's the one, i trying to think. I might, might be misremembering, but yeah, the point is like, there's other options. Um, if you can't see the colors, there is another way for you to identify where you need to go and what you need to do. So you're not at a disadvantage.
0: And it's one of those things that can benefit anybody playing it. Like when there's multiple ways of being able to see, like see, so to speak, where to go or what to do, like, you know, if you're playing in a low light or if you're just not really paying it all that attention and you're just kind of wanting to chill and play, it's, it's, it's helpful.
2: <laughs> I was thinking... If there was a colorblind mode added to like a Prime remaster or Prime 4, maybe what they could do is, uh, for people who are colorblind, they could have a setting where instead of uh, a door being color-coded, you would look at the door and then there'd be something on the HUD that flashes showing the symbol of the beam that you have to use. And then uh, they'd be able to know what they need to uh, use to open the door or uh, power the machinery or or whatever, or what beam to use on the boss.
1: The doors could be different shapes. Have a triangular door to go through.
2: That could also work. In Dread, they have different looking door obstructions to kind of differentiate instead of just one door is purple. Yeah. They're not just a different color. Yeah.
1: Which is probably the reason why they are that way. Um, Which is great. Um, Yes. I have a friend who is blind and uh, I had a chat with him before we recorded this and he said that some of the things that could be improved on uh, from Nintendo's point of view when it comes to games is things like audio cues, uh, haptics, uh, descriptive scenes and areas to build a picture with and uh, closed captions. I know that other companies offer different ways of accessing their games like you can have uh, captions and you can change the speed of the the way that the text is read, and um, there's more descriptive text, I guess, in some games. I'll just say this, I don't play a lot of PlayStation and Xbox games, but what I've read, it seems like they're doing a better job at making their games more accessible than what Nintendo has been doing. And something that I praise massively is uh, Xbox's uh, adaptive controller, and how you can just you can do you can do all kinds of stuff with that i think that's really cool and it's quite a it is an attractive price point which i think is really great and i know that sony's got a whole section on their website that lists all the different accessibility features as well i'm just looking through it now you know display and uh, you know inverting colors color correction text size speech speed and uh, i also like as well just just going to, uh, back to Nintendo, because there is some uh, accessibility there With Pokemon games, modern Pokemon games, you can change the volume of sound effects and music, and you can adjust them exactly how you want them. The customization should be there for for all games, and that benefits everyone. In their controllers, they have haptic feedback also known as hd rumble which could absolutely be used in so many games to show when you've got a more intense scene coming up or something or um if there's an enemy that's that's going to be quite difficult or you need to move out of the way or something maybe there's certain types of vibrations that can happen and I, i don't really think that's being utilized and it's sad um and i'd like that to change yeah, I, I just wish that there was some extra things in games uh, on platforms like the Switch uh, that would make things easier for people like him.
0: I'm a big fan of haptics as like a, a way to be like, hey, this is something important to pay attention to, because like, let's say, you know, you're playing the switch and you've got the sound turned off because you're like on a plane or something and you didn't bring your headphones or whatever, you know, to, when you're trying to do something, you can't hear this audio cue. So it helps to be able to feel it instead. So that's, you know, that's one of the things about haptics and accessibility that's like like, it, it's a double thing. It helps people who don't necessarily need it for daily life, but it also helps people that, you know, wouldn't have any other possible way to do it and then having something reading all the text on the screen well that also like means more work for voice actors so like that's another double win there to me and then closed captions is always helpful because again you don't always have the sound turned on you don't always have it turned up sometimes it's just really hard to understand what like it's kind of hard to hear what they're saying anyways just like understand it especially if it's like a big like major dramatic plot point or something. There's a lot going on. And, you know, just being able to change the size of the text is, is also a great thing because that can, uh, you know, that depends on the size of the, the monitor you're playing it on or how close you're sitting to the television or whatever. Like, you know, if I'm sitting way back, I can't see that tiny little text at the bottom, but if I can make it bigger, you know, that's, that helps everybody right there
1: yeah and being able to customize your controller as well to have Mm -hmm. buttons that suit you um i think is a great idea but i don't really see a lot of that on nintendo i I think other platforms you can you can change your layout of different um buttons and things maybe it's game dependent but i feel like that should be a standard you should be able to you know set your controls like you can on pc i feel like if it happened to me, how would I feel if I couldn't experience it? like if I lost my my hearing and I couldn't I, I couldn't hear what's being said, but I might be able to get some descriptive text that might describe the scene or uh, if I lost my sight, you know having um vibrations and um, better sound uh control would be beneficial to me
2: yeah, I think uh there needs to be a lot more options just in general, that help as many people as possible play. Even if uh, traditional gamers who don't, let's say, need accessibility might think that, oh, it cheapens the game. No, it opens it up to some people. And these are options. So
0: yes, they don't have to use it.
2: (laughs) Right. They're not in the game for you.
1: I always liked the idea of in Metroid Prime, if they made a trilogy for the Switch, um, if you was charging up, say, an ice beam and you were using the Joy-Cons, if you could feel ice traveling through the controller
0: oh, that would be so cool.
1: Oh. Or if you're using the plasma beam and you just felt like the flow of lava or something flow through it, like the the types of vibrations, there's so much control over that with the HD rumble. It would be great if people who couldn't uh, see clearly could uh, experience things like that. And it'd be great for everybody anyway. It'd just be such a neat addition.
0: All right, well, let's go ahead and move on to the mailbag. So last episode, we asked you guys, what video game genres do you think Metroid could explore in the future? And you guys answered, and here's what some of you guys had to say. Well, Metroid is godlike 77, says a visual novel. That'd be cool. I would play that. I like this one from uh real Nindy Buzz. What about a point and click adventure game? I'm Samus Threepwood, mighty bounty hunter. That was quite a creative answer.
2: Oh my god, I, like I would it. love that so much.
0: I'd play it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't know if it would have the same appeal as uh, as other genres today. Maybe if it was released in the early nineties, maybe.
2: Well, it would have to be a modern interpretation. So Yeah. Uh And I think you'd have to have some sort of Metroid flair in it so that even if it isn't a Metroidvania-style gameplay, it still feels like a Metroid title. It could work. I think it could.
0: Go something along the lines of, like, you know, Life is Strange is kind of a point and click, so that... It's just an evolved form of one, so I, I say it works.
2: Yeah, you could do something like that.
0: Uh, Gladrak says a Metroid Fusion remake, all of Resident Evil, would be so amazing. I agree. A lot of you guys want horror type games like survival horror. I could see that. That would work really well. I still want my Stardew Valley inspired Metroid games where you raise little baby Metroids. That's what I want. <laughs> and then I think I mentioned it last or last episode where you you milk the you milk the Metroids and get Metroid jelly just like on SpongeBob. That's what I want. I'm bringing Sh- that back.
1: I should have deleted that episode.
0: Never. Mm uh angel aaron that's me says no i'm i'm not angel aaron i'm just telling you that's what it says okay <laughs> um, per, that's the twitter name not me saying it um anyways it says no idea cute metroid game yes i vote for cute metroid game true blood horror game i would also like that open world game yes i would like that so many others i can't think of right now you know what i like all your answers so you know go for it Overlord X says, "What if a Fallout type game, but every time you start a new game, you crash on a procedurally generated planet? You find all your gear and then beat the final boss of that planet. I like that because I like the idea of a Fallout." I do like one. that idea. Mm. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Bat says puzzle. What if there was an entire game that was just shine spark puzzles? It could be laid out on levels with a world map like a Super Mario Brothers game, but each level is a get to the end with no enemies, just obstacles.
2: Yeah,
1: someone that runs a site called Shine Sparkers. I really don't want a Shine Spark puzzle game. That just sounds like torture, and I, I don't think that'd be good. They'd have to make Shine Sparking <laughs> easily.
0: Yeah. They're easier to Yeah, you yeah. keep
2: joking. So, for our listeners, Darren keeps oh. joking about introducing a rite of passage where to work for Shine Sparkers, you have to do the secret message infusion, which would mean that none of us work for the site because none of us have done it.
1: Except one person, but they're not working for not the me. site anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, with with the shine spark puzzles, I think you'd have to have something that was like a, a sort of simple shine spark, and then you build on that shine spark, and puzzles become a bit more complicated as you go along. Um, but I don't want it to get to, because some shine spark puzzles are really really difficult. So I would I wouldn't want the game to get too difficult because I don't think that's fun. It has to be achievable. You would need to uh, work your way up. Maybe there's some post-game stuff that would uh, that would be like the really hardcore puzzles. But a puzzle game, in terms of like a like a puzzle challenge kind of game with like blocks and stuff, and then there's like a boss that you face, fight Crockermeyer, and just make lots of lines and try and uh, try and defeat him in Puzzle League would be really cool. I'd be down for that one.
0: Well, since accessibility was a big topic for this episode, we have a question for you guys. What accessibility improvements would you like to see added to Metroid games in the future? You can let us know on Twitter or on Instagram, and we would love to hear your answers and maybe we'll read it out. All right, well, everybody, thank you so very much for joining us for another episode of the Shine Sparkers podcast. It's always great to talk with all of you. Darren and Roy, so happy to get to talk to you guys again. And we will see you next mission.
1: See you next mission. See you next mission.
0: And welcome to episode twenty-three Whoa, hold on of the show. No. Oh wait, we didn't sync up.
1: No, we didn't sync we up. We didn't sync
0: up. <laughs> oh crap! <laughs> as soon as you said that, I realized I that's said, what we didn't. You
1: do. know what to do. And you don't know what to
0: do. <laughs> well, I know what to do. I just forgot to sync it up. All right, let's sync it up. In okay. five, four, three, two, one. Okay, now we can do it. <laughs> we've got it now that's gonna be in the bloopers (laughs)
1: the blooper before the podcast even begins that's amazing yeah
0: you know what to do no apparently you don't know what to do (laughs) all (laughs) righty
2: you had one job one job Amanda. (laughs) (laughs)
0: well at least i'm not reading this amanda will introduce episode 23 of the podcast and welcome here we go
1: that is something yeah (laughs)
0: everybody and welcome to episode 23 of the shine sparkers podcast and of course welcome roy and darren so happy to have you guys on the show and we're going to be talking about metroid dread this week and uh, wait we are not going to give a brief mention to recent. wait what recent awards did metroid dread win
1: oh yeah we should probably mention that let's let's start over um <laughs> okay. so they what did kind of they crucial win? yeah uh and it's quite a, a an attractive tr- uh, price point as well. An attractive price I can't speak.
0: All right. So we're going to go ahead and ask next week's question. Let's see. Do next episode. Do we have
1: another question? Oh, we do have a question. Never mind.
0: Yeah. What accessibility? Yeah. <clears throat> My stomach just growled. I don't know if it caught it up on the mic. That'd be funny if it did. Uh, I will. I will <laughs> I boost do.
1: the audio on that point. So we've got Please this really. Please boost <laughs> the audio on that. And
0: just be like Amanda's stomach. Amanda needs to eat. Sounds Sorry. like a volcano going, going off. <laughs>
1: This podcast was edited by Darren Kerwin and Giulio Bruschini, with music from Maserati. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can check out more episodes at shinesparkers.net forward slash podcast. We can also be found on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. See you next mission.